Welcome to Hydrant Online. My name is Tim, and we're so glad that you have joined us today. We really believe that, that Hydrant is a place where we connect and fill and overflow. We believe those things happen even in a season like this when we can't meet in our building. So we want you to be a part of things that are coming up. We want you to know that that in just a couple of weeks, we have another outdoor service. At the, at the end of October, we'll be, we'll be celebrating. Um, McGrady's food truck will be here about an hour before the service. It's going to be a great time, cool weather. It's going to be a chance to worship together. We have life groups that are happening where we are growing and allowing God to fill our spirits with his truth as we, we gather and we talk. And some of them are in person and some of them are, um, are virtual. And we'd love to help you to connect into one of those. And then serving, there's happening in so many different ways. And you can connect with, with Hydrant through our food pantry or volunteering in some other ways or Connect with a, a need in the community. Connect with the, the pregnancy center. Connect with uh, Laundry of Love. Find somewhere that your love for Jesus can overflow in, in service to others. It's, it's who we are as a church from beginning to end. And it's, it's a part of how we thrive. It's how we thrive as followers of Jesus. It's how we thrive as we walk with him in a world like this today. For, for so long, the church has been caught up in, in meaningless and useless arguments. We have jumped onto various bandwagons and followed political parties, and, and it's gotten us nowhere. We've got to kind of step back and remember who we are. Remember who we are as God's people if we're going to thrive in a world like ours. Now, we're in the middle of a series called Thrive about learning to thrive in Babylon by, by looking at the stories found in the book of Daniel. Now, Babylon is, it was an actual country, an actual empire, but it also throughout scripture is this, this metaphor, this picture of ultimate evil in the world. When, when evil runs seemingly unchecked, and has the power to do what it wants, when it wants, how it wants. This is the kind of world we get. And we look at, at Daniel, and, and sometimes we look at the book of Daniel and we see heroic stories. We, we hear the children's tales of, of Daniel sleeping cozily beside lions, or we, we tell the stories of, of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego who were in that fiery furnace with the Holy Spirit. And we, we think about a God who rescues us, a God who protects us, a God who will deliver us in the face of evil. But as we really look at the story it seems to be about something much more important. It seems to be these journals, these memoirs of, of Daniel telling about a time of exile, telling about a time of, of when he and his friends and those around him were, were taken from their home and dropped into this brand new culture. They were forced to change their name. They were forced to lose their identity. They were forced to study the occult and forced to serve an evil king. And yet through all of this, they remain faithful witnesses to the love and presence and power and truth of God. And they do so in a way that doesn't require them 
to use force. It doesn't require them to, to get into arguments to prove they're right. They simply live their lives in a way that is marked, that is marked with things like hope and humility and wisdom. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at, at each of those three characteristics and, and what they gave Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego as they were in this foreign land and how it allowed them to live lives that were thriving even under an evil regime, even with political leaders who were fickle, who were willing to do whatever they had to do to keep their power, even in unstable world, they continued to thrive. Let's start today by, by just kind of thinking about this idea of hope. We look at hope as, as kind of this wishful thinking. We, we hope that the weather will be nice this afternoon. We hope that our favorite football team will win on Sunday afternoon or Monday night or Thursday night. We hope things will get back to normal very soon. They're just kind of these generalized feelings of desire for something to happen. But when we look at a biblical hope, it's something different. There seems to be this, this confidence in knowing something that births hope. It's a little different than faith. It is this, this desire and, and confidence that who God said he is and what God says he will do will come to pass. That we will see those things in the real world in the future. So we have hope for the kingdom of God breaking through. We have hope for redemption. We have hope for salvation. We have hope for the transformation of our lives. We have hope because of Jesus. And we look at the story of Daniel and we look at the stories of his friends and they had hope. Hope is where courage is birthed. We see that in one of the stories in the book of Daniel. It's found in Daniel chapter 3. And I'm just going to read beginning at verse 1. They're in Daniel chapter 3, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and we find this written there. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he'd set up. So all these officials came and they stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. 
But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed him about the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue. And when they hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments, that decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into the furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you've put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you. Your majesty, they refuse to serve your gods. Do not worship the gold statue you set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up? I'll give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. What an incredibly courageous act on the, on the part of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who could have had no idea what was about to happen to them when they were thrown into the furnace. No expectation that God would most certainly save them. Instead, there was, there was hope that God would do what God would do no matter what. That God could work and that God was faithful and that in the end, God would prevail all over all evil powers, over all wickedness, over all injustice, over all selfishness, against any God that gets set up in our world. And that gave them courage. Brene Brown writes a lot about courage and shame and vulnerability. And, and she says that there is, there is no courage without vulnerability. There is no courage without risk. If there is a certainty of victory, then it takes no courage. But we see immense courage in these three men because there was great vulnerability. There was great risk to stand up to the most powerful king in the known world and say, I'm not going to do what you want, even though you're threatening to have me burned alive. Because I trust God. I believe in God. My hope is in God and not in you. So no matter what idol you put up, no matter what command you give that would require me to do something against my God, I am never going to do it. I will continue to trust even in the face of death, even in the face of the, the most dire circumstances, even in the face of loss. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to trust 
that God will be our sponsor, that God will open doors for us, that God will provide a way where there seems to no, be no way. They, they seem to know and live out Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says that we are to trust the Lord with all our hearts and not to lean on our own understanding, but instead to acknowledge Him in all our ways. And then He will make the pathway straight. They trusted the pathway that God had laid out for them regardless of the risk, regardless of what happened. They had courage because they had hope. They had courage because they had hope. Many of us lack hope. It's overcome by fear in our world. We look around our world and we watch the news and we get on social media and we are worn down and worn out by fear. Fear gets a hold of our minds and it, and it turns us into, into people who have to reach out for control. And we try to get control and we, without realizing it, we become angry and we become bitter and we become controlling and manipulative. And it's all because of the fear. You see, there's this, this old kind of um, computer programming term. It has to do with garbage in, garbage out. And the idea is that the computer is capable of making immense calculations for us and doing it very quickly. But if we put the wrong numbers in, we're going to get the wrong numbers out. Whatever we put in is going to affect what comes out. If there is fear coming out of our hearts and our minds on a daily basis, if there is anxiety, if there is a need to get control and to be right, if you find yourself angry every day, then we need to stop and ask ourselves, what am I putting in that is leading me to this kind of output? Why don't I have hope that leads to courage? Why instead am I marked by fear that leads to angry? You know, I had someone ask me a while back, like, hey, listen, every time I get online, I'm just consumed with anger. I find myself lashing out at people both on the virtual world and the real world, and I'm just tired of feeling this way. What can I do? And I gave them a couple of pieces of advice. It's the same thing that I did when I was allowing fear and pessimism to get a hold of my mind. And, and, I, and I shared it. I've shared it dozens of times over the last couple of years. And it begins with what we're putting in. For some of us, it may mean that we needed to put very strict limits on the amount of time we're online or on social media. Maybe we just need to cut it out altogether for a while. Maybe we need to watch the news once a week instead of every night for hours. Maybe we need to try to try to think about the things that we are putting in. So what I gave them the opportunity to do is just say, hey, why don't you set some boundaries on your social media as the first thing. The second thing is I want you to go to Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 8 and 9, and read the words that the Apostle Paul writes where he says that, that whatever is good, whatever is trustworthy, what is lovely and beautiful, 
these things that are excellent, I want you to think about these things. And I told him to go to those verses and to make a list of, of the different characteristics that Paul describes and name one thing a day that fits in each of those. I said, maybe you want to go to, go to the Bible and do a, do a Google search for every passage about anger and then just spend time reading those and asking what God would have you to do. And then go to every passage about joy and do the same thing. Maybe what you want to do is to, to begin to write down every morning 10 things you're grateful for. See, there's, there's power and joy and gratitude and hope that can overcome the fear and anxiety and in the insecurity that we feel because of all of the garbage that gets put into our minds. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, they couldn't help the culture around them. They had no control over who was in charge. They had no control over state religion. They had no control over the things that they were taught. But they had control over what they allowed inside. And because they controlled the things that they were thinking about, they were able to control their actions. They were able to step out in courage because of the joy they had found. Listen, there are lots of hope killers in our world. But if Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego could stand up to those hope killers, so can we. There are lots of different things that can kill our hope. There are things that Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they had to face and, and we have to face today too. Things that, that are all around us, things that we constantly hear and can allow ourselves to to fall down into without thinking. The first is conspiracy theories. Listen, there's a conspiracy theory about every single thing that happens in our country. There's a conspiracy thing theory about every single thing that doesn't happen in our country. And I imagine that there are some of them that might actually be true, and most of them that are not. And we can chase them down and we can follow them and we can become consumed by trying to figure these things out and name and blame the, the things that are just way out of our control. And we could figure out this conspiracy, we could figure out this theory, but in the end it makes zero difference in our lives. The only thing that happens is that we get robbed of our peace our joy, and our hope. After all, don't we believe that we have a God who is at work in all of it? Don't we believe, Romans 8, 28, that, that our God is at work through every good and bad thing, weaving them together for his purpose, for our good, for the development of his kingdom? Don't we believe the scriptures? We don't have to follow down every trail and spend hours trying to put the pieces together that only lead to fear and anger and, let's just be honest, misplaced focus. Hours of life lost on something that won't really change anything for us. Another hope killer is to make everything into a catastrophe. 
make everything out as if it was the end of the world. It's as if we think that the change of every political party is going to mean the end of the world as we know it. That, that everything in our world hangs on every little decision every moment of the day and that there isn't a God at work in any of it. And, and we have seen people who make every election into a catastrophe, every decision into a catastrophe. Listen, God isn't surprised by any of it. And he's with us and we have nothing to fear. We have a God whose love casts out fear, and we can lean into that even in times like this. The world will not end regardless of who gets elected next month. The world will not end. We can trust God. Maybe what can happen is that we can get our minds refocused on His kingdom, and we can begin to lean into Him and His strength and his hope, and his, his people, and his work. And instead of being so focused on, on all of these things that are going on around us, we can get focused on what God wants to do in and through us. Two other hope killers are, are myopia and amnesia. If we think about myopia as the inability to see clearly and and for us, we look around the world and we're distracted by all of these things and we can't see clearly. And so we can't see God. And then amnesia is the, the forgetting what's happened. And what we really need is to remember clearly. Remember the faithfulness of God through every event, through every pandemic, through every election, through every change in power, through every year of human history, God has remained faithful and continued to be at work and is worthy of our trust. He has been weaving things together for our good to bring about the good of all creation and we can trust him and we can have hope and we can look out into the future with hope because of what we've seen in the past, the way he's been with us, the way he has sustained us the way he has provided for us, the doors that he has opened for us, the way is that he has been our sponsor and our mentor and our coach, the one who has developed and opened doors for us. He has been faithful and so we can trust and hope and therefore walk into the, the future with courage instead of fear. You know, another thing that has a, a tendency a tendency to steal our hope is false hopes. You see, instead of keeping our hope centered on God, we, we look for an easier answer. We look for a quicker answer. And so we end up putting our hope in something else. Two of the biggest false hopes circulating around the church today in America, the first is politics. It provides a false hope. They realize the power of hope. And so they talk about making things great or providing a new hope or a new day. But the truth is that God is our only hope. 
the only hope of real change, the kingdom of God breaking in is, is our only hope of real change. And that's not going to happen by electing the right people. That's going to happen when the people of God live like the people of God and love like the people of God and begin to make a change in the world around them one neighborhood at a time. The politics, it's an easy answer. It's a quick answer. We can, we can legislate good behavior. We can legislate good morals, or at least we think we can. The problem is that, well, it changes. It changes quickly. The people that you might want elected today won't be in office 10 years from now or 20 years from now or 50 years from now. And it won't take long for the political climate to swing back the other way like a pendulum. And so hoping that we're going to solve the world's problems, that we're, going to, that we're going to see the world become more like the kingdom of God by electing the right people and jumping on the, to this political false hope. It's just that. It's false hope. Instead, we need our hope in Jesus. Our hope in a God who is faithful and at work and has the real ability to transform lives. The other false hope is, is bandwagons, right? Like it is that easy, quick, flash in the pan answer. Sometimes it's a ministry, sometimes it's a celebrity personality, someone who has the quick and easy answer that everybody jumps on, the new ministry that will change everything for the world. It doesn't take long for them to become outdated. We find that they don't really create the kind of disciples that make a real difference in the world. And instead, we're invited to go back to the basics. Things like regular prayer and being in the Word together. Loving our neighbor and serving those in need around us. Asking the question, God, what do you want me to do today? Identifying what's in the way, but having enough hope in a God who asks that we have courage to do what he asks. And then to lean on the friends around us. To lean on the friends around us to do what we need to do. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew they knew in that moment when that music played that what God wanted them to do was not to bow down to that statue, but to stand, to stand and to honor their God regardless of the outcome. And they remembered his faithfulness and their hope was in him, their trust, their faith was in him. And because of that, they had courage to act. They had the courage to act, and they leaned on the strength of one another. Together, they walked in faithful obedience to God. Listen, we need courageous Christians today. No wimpy, whiny Christians. We need courageous Christians who have the strength to love well, to serve well, to persist without exceptions, to hope in what is possible and what God has said he will do. We need, we need Christians who lean in to hope, who don't buy into the fear, that don't buy into the anger, that don't buy into the divisions, but instead bring people together with hope and courage. 
We find our hope as we walk with him day by day, seeing clearly that he's at work now and remembering all the ways that he's been faithful. There are lots of things out there ready to kill your hope. But if you'll lean into him, keep your eyes fixed on the foundation of our faith, the author of our faith, then we can run the race that he lays out for us just as Jesus ran that race. He is faithful, he is good, and he is with us. May we be found faithful as he is faithful. Let's pray. Father, we need you. There are lots of things around us that would kill our hope. We know the enemy has come to steal and kill and destroy. That his desire is to rob us of our hope and thereby rob us of our courage. But God, we don't need courage to argue. We don't need courage to stand up for our rights. We need courage to love. We need courage to sacrifice. We need courage to lay down our lives for those you love. God, would you give us the strength and the hope and the courage to follow you every day? And as we ask today and each day, what would you have us do? May we know clearly and see clearly. May we find strength in our hope, courage in our hope, and strength as we walk together in this love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to seeing you again real soon.